0: Question and answer 15 of our catechism presents a very important doctrine. And I think it is safe to say that the story of redemption that is found in the pages of Holy Scripture cannot be properly understood without the doctrine that is summarized here. It's crucial that we understand this doctrine regarding the covenant that God entered into with man in the beginning before man fell into sin. We call it the covenant of life. You know, have you ever been... In a conversation and then you miss something crucial and you find that you're lost now in the conversation uh, maybe you are watching a movie and you had to step out for a moment and you miss something crucial so that you're lost for the rest of the movie um, that sort of thing could happen when we're reading the scriptures too all of scripture is important but there are some portions of scripture that are more vitally important than others they are uh, crucial truths Uh, truths that are crucial to our understanding of the whole story that is told in Scripture. This is one of them. If we miss the fact that God entered into a covenant with man in the beginning, and if we miss what that covenant was about, we're bound to be lost uh, in the rest of the story that unfolds uh, from there. The whole story of the Bible can be told in four parts. Creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and consummation. And you will notice that here in Question 15 of our catechism, we are still talking about how things were in the very beginning after God created man, but before man fell into sin. We are still laying foundations, therefore, and again, if we do not get this foundational thing right, we will not be able to understand the things that come later in the story. This is why you do not show up to the movies late, and this is why you do not start reading a book in the middle. If you miss the beginning, you will certainly be lost as you consider the middle and the end. Again, the question is what special act of providence did God exercise towards man in the estate wherein he was created? When we talk about the estate of something, we're talking about the state of something. We'll probably use that word instead. What was the state that man was in when he was created? He was upright in the beginning, remember? He was made to be good. And holy, there was nothing impure in him. He was not in a state of sin originally. He was in a state of perfection originally. And here we are asking the question, what special act of providence did God exercise towards man in that state of being that he was in when he was upright and perfect and without sin or blemish? We've already defined God's providence, remember. When we talk about providence, we are talking about the way that God preserves and governs the things He has made. We know that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, and after He created the heavens and the earth, He began to uphold them and to govern His creation, to bring about His eternal purposes. He preserves and governs His creation in many ways, generally speaking. But here we are talking about a special act of providence, a very particular way in which God... Upholds and governs the world that he has created. Did God do anything special in the beginning to govern man? Did he go beyond the created order of things to guide and direct man? And the answer is yes, he did something special in the beginning. Specifically, we confess that God entered into a covenant with man after he created him. So God first created man. Certainly he upheld man in the beginning and governed him in a general way, immediately upon creating him. But he did something more. God did something more. He also entered into a covenant with man. A covenant relationship with man was made immediately after God created him. First there is creation, but then afterwards God entered into a covenant with the man that he made. Genesis 1 tells the story of creation in a general way. There we learn that God made all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Genesis 1 tells us about creation in a general way, and this is the truth that comes to us. There we also learn about the creation of man. God created man, male and female, after His own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. That's the story that Genesis 1 tells. But Genesis 2 tells the story of creation from another vantage point. It's not another or different story of creation, but it's the story of creation from another vantage point. In Genesis 2... The focus is on the covenant that God made with man in the beginning. That is the the emphasis of Genesis 2. So take special notice of this. When God created man in the beginning, He did not merely leave them alone on earth to live as His creatures. No, He took them somewhere special, and He entered into a special arrangement with them, wherein He offered them something special, that is to say, something more than what they possessed as His creatures. I I hope you're able to track along with all of this, but here is why we have Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Creation in general is described to us in Genesis 1, but there is some special emphasis in Genesis 2, namely the covenant that God made with man in the beginning. God entered into a special relationship with man in the beginning that went beyond the natural relationship that existed between God and man. God is the creator, man is his creature. That was true from the moment of creation. But shortly thereafter, God entered into a special relationship or arrangement with man. Genesis 2 emphasizes this. You'll notice in Genesis 2, we are told that after God created man, after God created man, God planted a garden called it Eden it was in the east so you have all of creation it was all good and beautiful and and, and well and fine but God created a special domain for man to live in the garden of Eden and after creating the man God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden and there man enjoyed communion with God but we are to see that a covenant was made with man in this place what was Adam to do? in this garden well a special mission was given to him he was he was to keep this garden he was to protect it from intruders you see he was also to expand it so that it would fill the earth uh, in brief we are to see that adam was to be a prophet priest and king in this garden paradise that God had created. This was a temple, brothers and sisters. This was a place where man was to enjoy communion with God. Adam was to function as a prophet, priest, and king there. I want you to notice that this arrangement went beyond the natural arrangement that was true in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. God was first Uh, Creator and man-creature living on earth, but this is something different. This is something beyond the original. A garden was created, Adam was placed there, and he entered into a covenant. This covenantal arrangement is said to be a special act of providence because it was not an original part of the natural order of things. The covenantal arrangement was added after creation. And so the natural relationship that existed between God and man in the very beginning was that of creator and creature What did man owe God as his creature? Well, we say everything. Man owed God obedience and worship. Now catch this. What did God owe to man as his creator? Answer, nothing at all except justice. I said that very quickly. Maybe I should restate it. When God first made man, what did man owe to God as creator? Everything. Obedience. Worship. He owed God everything. God's the creator. Man is the creature. That's the nature of the relationship. Now I ask, what did God owe to man in the beginning when He created him? Answer, nothing at all except justice because God is holy and just. But now if I were to ask you what God owed to man after the account of Genesis 2 should man keep the terms of the covenant, we would say God would owe to man the promised reward of the covenant. God entered into a covenant with man. The story is told to us in Genesis 2. But what is a covenant? A covenant is simply an agreement between two or more parties. And concerning the covenants that God has made with man, we may say that covenants are declarations of God's sovereign pleasure Concerning the benefits He will bestow on man, the communion they will have with Him, and the way and means by which this will be enjoyed by them. Genesis 2 tells us about the establishment of the covenant. And in that moment, when God entered into a covenant with man, when God determined to do this, and when God took the initiative, all of a sudden the relationship changed from one merely of the relationship between a creator and creature to one wherein man is in a covenantal relationship with God, where God has given terms to man. This is what you shall do. And if you are faithful to do this and that, this is how I will reward you. So it is something extra, something beyond the natural order of things that was in place in the very beginning. So what were the benefits that God offered to man in the beginning when this covenant was made? The benefits were symbolized... By the tree of life. The benefits of keeping this covenant, the terms of it, were symbolized by the tree of life. We are to see that in the beginning when God entered into a covenant with Adam, life was offered to Adam and to his posterity or descendants. Should he keep the terms of the covenant that God made with him? This might sound strange to some. Some might reason this way, saying, but wasn't Adam already alive? Wasn't he already alive? And more than this, wasn't he alive in paradise with the right relationship with God? So, how can we say that the blessings of the covenant, the rewards of the covenant, were life? Well, yes, Adam was alive, but it was eternal life that was offered to Adam in the covenant. Eternal life in the blessed presence of God was offered to him. Uh, To use a different term, it was glory that was offered to Adam life in glory. The life that was offered to Adam through the covenant that God made with him in the beginning was the same as the life that will be ours in the new heavens and new earth when Christ our Savior comes again to make all things new. You see, that life is pictured for us in the end of, at the end of the book of Revelation if you wish to see a picture of it. That's what was offered to Adam. Not just life on earth as God's creature, but consummated life. Eternal life, life secure, life that could never be taken away, life in the glorious presence of God was offered to him, and that is the kind of life that was signified by the tree of life, life eternal. This is why our catechism refers to the covenant that God made with Adam as the covenant of life. This covenant goes by many names. It is sometimes called the Covenant of Creation. Why would we call it that? Well, it is called the Covenant of Creation because it was made in the beginning after God created the heavens and the earth. It is also called the Adamic Covenant. Why do we call it the Adamic Covenant? Because this covenant was transacted with Adam as the federal head of the whole human race. So it was made with Adam. So we call it the Adamic Covenant some refer to this covenant as the covenant of works. Because this is how the blessings of this covenant would be received. How would Adam come to receive the blessings that were promised or offered in this covenant? Through work or through obedience. He was to keep the garden. He was to preserve its integrity, its holiness. He was to expand the borders. He was to fill the earth with his posterity. He was to be faithful in this Work, abstaining from the other tree, which we'll mention in a moment, so that he might in due time, after this time of testing had passed, partake of the tree of life that was set before him. We call it the covenant of works because Adam would have to work or obey God in order to obtain the blessings of this covenant. All of these names of the covenant emphasize different aspects of it. But our catechism calls it the covenant of life so that we might remember that the promised reward for keeping this covenant was what? It was was life, a higher form of life than Adam possessed by virtue of his creation, you see. Life eternal, life in glory. Notice that our catechism answers the question, how would Adam come to receive the promised blessings of this covenant with the words, upon condition of perfect obedience. What was the promised reward? Eternal life. And how would that promised reward be obtained? Adam would have to obey perfectly. He would have to obey perpetually during this time of probation. That is what theologians call it. It's a time of testing. These two trees are set here before Adam as a test. It's a probationary period. Adam was to perfectly and perpetually and exactly obey God's commands and thus eat of the tree of life. Adam was to worship and serve the Lord perfectly. He was to expand the garden temple and protect it from all evil. He was to be faithful to expand the garden and to fill the earth with his offspring. He was to rest and worship one day in seven. In brief, Adam was to faithfully serve as God's prophet, priest, and king in the garden during his time of testing. And having passed the test, he would have been permitted to eat of the tree of life to enter into eternal life. The condition of the covenant of life was perfect and perpetual obedience. And what was forbidden? In this covenant, Adam was simply forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one thing forbidden of him. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've already said that these two trees, the the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were sacramental. They were sacramental trees. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. There was nothing special about these trees themselves until God set them apart as special, you see. Kind of like when we drink the wine and eat the bread. There's nothing special about the bread and the wine until God sets the bread and the wine apart as special. When we partake of the bread and the wine in the context of Holy Communion, it's special, it's holy, it's a sacrament. So these trees, there was nothing magical about them. Uh, They had the same substance, I think, of all the other trees in the garden. Uh, The tree of life was not magical. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not poisonous. They were just trees. But God set them apart to signify something. That's the thing that sacraments do, they signify things. In brief, the tree of life signified Adam's obedience and the reward that would come as a result of it. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil signified Adam's rebellion and the curse that would come as a result of eating of that tree. These trees had a way of bringing out what was in Adam's heart, you see. You understand how this works? If if in Adam's heart there was rebellion... Which tree would he eat of? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He would be drawn to that tree and, and would in fact rebel in this external way. And if there was obedience and devotion to God in his heart, which tree would Adam eventually eat of once passing the period of testing? He would eventually eat of the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life were sacramental And we know how the story goes, don't we, brothers and sisters? Adam was tested, he was tempted by the evil one, and he did eventually eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because there was evil in his heart. Um, In fact, we know that Adam came to experience evil in a new way in that moment. He came to have knowledge of evil in a new way. Before he knew evil, in this sense, evil is what God forbids, He knew good in this sense as well. Goodness is obedience to God. But when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he came to know good and evil in a different way. He came to know it experientially, you see. He knew not only what it was to do good, but now he knew what it was to do evil. He entered into a state of sin in that moment. And lastly, I'll ask, what was the guaranteed curse for breaking the terms of this covenant? Answer, the pain of death. And certainly on that day, when Adam ate of the forbidden tree, he and Eve and all of humanity in them passed from the state of perfection and into the state of sin and death. This became their state of being. No longer were they upright and perfect, but now Adam and Eve and all of humanity in them were fallen. They were in sin. They and their posterity came under God's curse. They were cast out of Eden. Think of that and all that it signifies. They were cast out of Eden. They were barred from the tree of life which had been offered to them. They could no longer access it. If they were to enter into life now, it would not be by eating of the tree of life. That option was closed off to them once they rebelled and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they were to enter into life now, then it would have to be by the grace of God and by the work of another who was sinless and greater than Adam. We know that this is Christ Jesus the Lord, our second Adam. I think you could see why I have said, if we do not understand this doctrine, then it will be difficult for us to understand the rest of the story that is told in the pages of Holy Scripture. Can you see it? This doctrine really is key. God entered into a covenant of life with man when He created him. And if we do not understand that, then we will not understand the story of the fall of man, of redemption in Christ Jesus, or of consummation. We must know about this covenant. Stated differently, if we don't know about this covenant made with Adam in the beginning, then we will not be able to understand the gospel we will not be able to understand the finished work of Christ Jesus the Lord, who is called the second Adam. Christ, our Lord, redeemed us and has provided eternal life for us by being obedient and by doing the work that God gave Him to do. It was more than... The work that Adam was to do, Adam was simply to obey. He was to not rebel against God, not sin against Him. Obey, eat of the tree of life. Christ has done more. Not only has He lived in perfect obedience to God the Father, not only did He fulfill the law perfectly, He did more than this. He also suffered for the sins of others. He endured suffering in the place of those given to Him by the Father, you see. And in this way, He brings many sons and daughters glory what special act of providence did god exercise towards man in the estate wherein he was created the answer is this when god had created man he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death christ takes us where adam failed to take us brothers and sisters thanks be to god let us bow now for a word of prayer Our Father in Heaven, give us understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Help us to understand these precious doctrines so that we might understand the Gospel, so that we might believe the Gospel and be found in Christ the Lord, the second and greater Adam, the mediator between God and man. He is our salvation. And so help us, O Lord, to understand this Gospel and to be found in Him. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.